Hi, welcome to Guerrilla Discipleship. My name is Kevin Baker. I'm your host. Thank you for joining us today. And, and I want to take a little bit of a personal privilege today to talk about my spiritual dad and my mentor, George Anderson. I was uh, a part of George's memorial service last night, and uh, George's ministry and life were really the model for me of understanding not only who Jesus is, but also what making disciples really is all about. And I would like to just remind you of some things that perhaps you already know, but just to put some skin on them and to um, to really honor uh, the man who taught me more about Jesus, more about pastoring, more about disciple making than uh, any seminary or any other place uh, that I've, I've ever uh, known. George pastored a United Methodist Church called Mount Oak in uh, Bowie, Maryland for 34 years. Uh, that's an astounding time. Most pastors, I mean, you know, average length has probably been five to seven years. Uh, they're getting longer, but at a time when pastors were moving uh, all the time, George stayed faithful to one place and, um, and grew that church to be the largest church in the Baltimore-Washington Conference before he retired. We're about a thousand folks in attendance. Uh, it, he, when he came there in, I think, roughly 1967, he, there were about 30 people at the church, and it was a two-point charge. By the end, it was had a, a huge facility and um, and just a, a wonderful gathering of people. But that's not George Anderson's story. And let, let me just tell you a couple of other things about George. He was 90 when he passed. And until the, the last few months of his life, he was strong, continuing to have um, disciple people, his grandkids and, and others. Um, but George, there, there's probably not a, an organization, a Christian organization or a, a, a person's name that, that's somewhat well-known in Christian circles today that, that George didn't personally know. He he knew personally the founder of Navigators. He knew Bill Bright. He uh, knew personally the um, the uh, founding folks with uh, Youth for Christ. And so just on and on, George had uh, contacts all over the world. He was a part of the international and uh, international prayer breakfast movement um, or the international fellowship, which sponsored the prayer breakfast here, the presidential prayer breakfast here. Uh, I met dignitaries, uh, I was in the, the the room so many times with folks because George included me. And I just want to say, as we spent some time last night talking about George, I was reminded of what a powerful disciple maker he was. He not only discipled Michelle and I, he and his wife, but so many other people. Over the 34 years of his ministry, around 50 young people went into full-time or part-time ministry. Uh, that's an amazing number of young people coming into, and I uh, count myself as one of those folks. Probably 20 of us spoke last night at his service. Um, thousands of folks have been impacted and multiplied, and I just want to pass on to you today as a way to kind of encourage you and to honor my, my uh, friend George. Some of the things that I saw and learned in George that I think are so critical to disciple making. And if even one of these sticks in your life and, and becomes a part of your practice, I know that God will multiply his kingdom in you and through you. George was a humble man. He was intellectually, he studied under Francis Schaeffer at Labrie in Switzerland, 
uh, and he was an intellectual, uh, he was rigorously intellectual. He, like I said, George traveled with folks that were uh, well-known and he, he treat, he was no respecter of persons. George treated poor people, rich people, powerful people, weak people, broken people, uh, people of all colors, all alike. George was, he just didn't respect people and he was a humble man. There was never a time that George would brag to you or brag about himself. In fact, I don't know that George in all of his life ever said that he did things really well. It wasn't that he was down on himself. It was just that he was humble. He was never going to parade around his accomplishments or he didn't name toss. He, he just was a, a man of humility and that humility drew you to him uh, as you saw the power of the, of the life that he had. The other thing that I would say that I saw about George from the very beginning, George loved Jesus. He wanted everyone to know Jesus. He wanted everyone to love Jesus. And George lived a supernatural life. He, he had fellowship with Jesus through the power of the Spirit moment by moment. He prayed. He, he, Jesus was always the center uh, of conversation. He wasn't obnoxious. He just was always centered. It was almost like he and Jesus walked around together. And so it was hard to not have interactions and spiritual interactions because George was living in the realm of the spirit every moment of every day. He didn't do that because it came naturally. George chose to do that. He disciplined himself to remember that Jesus was present and powerful and his purpose for living every moment of every day that I saw him but he lived also very authentically. George shared so many details of his life with me. He was 90 when he passed, so he was 30 years older than, than I am, but he, he would share intimately with, his, with me about his struggles, even as he was helping me. So I saw modeled what it looked like to struggle through spiritual issues and disciplines and obedience. It, it wasn't just that he taught me and it wasn't that George always had it right. He would he would admit his failures. He was always willing to share with me the good, the bad, the ugly, his successes and his failures. And I learned so much just by him being open and honest with me. You know, um, geez, uh, George enjoyed life. George was serious. He's kind of an introvert. Uh, he was an introvert. He wasn't kind of. He was an introvert. But man, did George love people and George loved life. You would not be around George long without having fun. He had a great sense of humor. Uh, he wanted to go do adventurous things. Even up until his 70s or maybe even 80s, he was riding a skateboard. Uh, he, he just, he was willing to take risks. And he, he thought that, you know, if God, if really God is for me, who can be against me? And if God has my life, then... What do I have to fear? And he lived that fearlessness, fearlessness out in a way that was not reckless. I'm not saying that, but it was joyous and, and free. You saw freedom in George and you saw the freedom that we have in Christ. And when you brought real worries to him, he understood that. It wasn't like, I, I know that George had things that concerned him. He's the father of three kids. He had a church and ministry and he had people all over the place that he was pouring into. He had concerns, concerns for his own health at times, concerns for his wife and family. 
They were not the, the perfect family. I remember, this to, just to give you an example of George's leadership at the church, there was a, a, a particular Sunday when George um, had been called, I think, the night before and been told by his unmarried daughter that she was pregnant. It was a hard, hard conversation. And George talked to her and, and uh, comfort her, comforted her, encouraged her, blessed and loved on her. He didn't pull any punches. He said, you know, this is not what God wants for you. He was truthful. God, Jesus, uh, <laughs> George was always willing to bring the truth to you, but he did it so gently and so compassionately. He was like his master Jesus in that. And George felt like he needed to tell his church about what was going on. He didn't, he felt like in order to live authentically, and but he he asked his daughter's permission. He said, I feel like I need to share this with the church. And uh, and she said it was okay. But George, I was there that Sunday, and George said, I can't share my daughter's struggles. I'm not gonna share my daughter's feelings without sharing my own. And he began to confess some of his own sins. He began to talk openly in the church service about things that he was battling or had battled. And then he just shared with his congregation that his daughter was pregnant outside of wedlock and, and that, um, that he was heartbroken, but that they were standing with his daughter. Some of this may just seem foolish to you now, right? We live in such a calloused time that we you may be listening to this going, oh my gosh, why would he even do that? What a big deal. But it was a time even in my lifetime, where we expected that kind of devotion from pastors and pastors' families. And he want, wanted to live authentically with his church. And so he shared about his struggles and he shared about his daughter. And he asked the church to pray for him and for Carol, his wife, and for their daughter. And I will never forget this. He got down. He said, I'm going to go to the rail, the altar rail, and I'm just gonna pray, and if any of you would like to join me, and I would say 80% or more of the church came and joined he and his wife there at that altar rail, and many other people began to confess their own sins. It was a mini revival as George lived so authentically and so open before God that God used his willingness to be that transparent, to, to be that real, to be that vulnerable, to encourage others to get real with God and real with others. It was an amazing moment. That, that's a, a wonderful picture of, um, of George. George was also the strongest man that I ever knew in terms of, of his will. George believed that we had to bring our will under the lordship of Jesus. And, and George was determined. He, he might have felt frightened. He might have felt scared. He might have felt angry, but he was determined to bring his will under the control of Jesus. And so he, he was fully engaged with his emotions, I, I want you to know, but he knew, I'm not going to be controlled by anything other than the power of God, the Spirit of God, and the truth of God. He gave his whole self to the Lordship of Jesus. He brought every part of his life. And, and when, he, when he realized there was a part that was out of, of um, sync with what Jesus wanted, he would repent of that. He would take whatever steps were necessary to bring his life in alignment with what God wanted. And um, 
I saw that over and over again. And living in a culture, even when I was a kid, where we were beginning to to let our feelings drive us more than our willfulness, more than our decisions and our choices. I remember George talking to me about love as I was a newly married guy. And, and he was saying that, you know, we don't love because it's easy. We don't love our spouses because they always deserve it or because uh, they, they, we feel good about them. We choose to love them in, as a way to honor Christ. We choose to serve and to obey uh, God. And so he honored his wife because of Christ. And I've never seen a man love his wife more than George loved his wife, Carol. He called her doll. Uh, there was none of us, his kids or any of us that he mentored that could ever live up to the devotion and, and way that he cared for uh, his wife, Carol. George also taught me not to be religious. George wasn't religious and he really probably didn't like religious people. He said the Pharisees were religious. Why would I want to be like one of them? George just said, just be real. Be the person that God created you to be. And George always normalized Jesus. He, George, for George, Jesus wasn't a Sunday morning guy. He wasn't somebody that was in church. George, For George, Jesus was, was an everyday occurrence, an every moment. George would walk with Jesus regardless of where he was. George brought Jesus along. He was in fellowship with Jesus in the grocery store, at a restaurant, uh, in conversations with politicians, in conversations with street people. It didn't matter. Jesus was a part of those conversations. I can tell you this also. George loved God with all his heart. He longed. By the way, let me tell you this, which is very interesting to me. George was a pastor before he knew Jesus. Think about that. George was a, an ordained United Methodist pastor, but he didn't know Jesus personally. And one of the lay people in his church when he was back in Billings, Montana, brought him to a prayer event where George met Jesus. He told me one time that in the elevator, when he was leaving that meeting, there were a bunch of other men in the elevator, a bunch of other people in the elevator, that the lay person that, taught, that brought him to the meeting uh, was in the elevator. And he looked at some of those guys and he said, Jesus is real. I met Jesus today. And he told me when he was telling me that, he said, I, I can't imagine what these lay people thought. Here I am a pastor and I'm telling them this like it's new news for me, which it was new news for him. He had just met him that day. But from that moment forward, Jesus or George was surrendered to Jesus. He was living for Jesus. Jesus was real to him. George knew Jesus. He listened to his voice. He heard him. He spoke to him. He agonized with him. When I first went to Mount Oak Church, I wasn't looking really for a church. I was looking for a place to get married. Like a lot of us, right? We drop out of church. We come back because we have kids. We come back because we're something's going on in our life. And I was looking for a place to get married. And I walked into the church Here's what was amazing to me. There was a, a, a man that they had been praying for in the church. His name was uh, John Hussman, and he had cancer. And they had obviously been praying for this man. And I just remember sitting in the church. I didn't know who John Hussman was. I didn't know anybody in this church. But I remember George, the pastor, standing up and talking about they had been praying for John. And that John, that it wasn't going well, that they were getting more bad news. And I remember George just saying from the pulpit, you know, I've been agonizing with the Lord about this and I don't understand what God is doing. Why with all of our praying, he's not healing him. And I remember thinking, I have never heard something like this. 
I mean, we package our Jesus up, don't we, in church? We, we always want everything to look good, to sound good. We don't talk that openly enough about our struggles with, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? And here I am in this church, and the pastor himself is, is agonizing. I could tell this. He loved John, and he loved and trusted God, but he couldn't figure out why God wasn't at work in answering his prayers. And he wasn't going to hide that, and he wasn't going to sugarcoat that. Jesus was too real for George to do that, and he was willing to live authentically. It was amazing. George loved God, and he loved people dearly. He loved me at a time when I felt so unlovable. George saw more in me than I ever saw in myself. Man, that's such a key point of disciple-making, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus did with the disciples, the apostles? He saw something in them. They were ordinary fishermen. They were tax collectors. These are people who didn't not only didn't feel great about themselves, maybe, but the culture wasn't looking at them to be the next great leaders. And Jesus took them, invited them, and, and basically said, you're the men that I'm going to use to change the world. He did that for, for all of the people that he met. Jesus' followers were just an ordinary band of men and women. He didn't discount kids. He didn't leave anyone out. If you were a, 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 a poor sinner, Jesus thought the world of you. And so did George. I saw it over and over. The first time I ever worked at a, at a homeless shelter. I did so with George down in DC. He asked me as a young man to come with him. That was the other key to disciple making for George. He was always inviting someone to do things with him. George would ask me later on when he was training me to be a disciple maker, he would ask me, hey, Kevin, who's your man? And what he meant by that is who are you doing life with? Who are you inviting to do ministry with? Who are you walking with? Who are you sharing your life with? And George just kept sharing. He invited me over and over again. He would just call me or see me and he said, hey, you know, Kevin, I've got this thing that somebody invited me to do. Would you help me with it? Would you do it with me? And then while we were doing it, I was learning how to do ministry. I was watching him do things. I was watching him have, have interactions. A lot of times that's really all I did. I would just walk with, with George and I would just watch how he interacted with people. But I think George knew I'm living my life of Christ in front of you so that you can see what this looks like. And he so believed in me. He believed way more in me. He multiplied himself. I sat in that church building last night with hundreds of people that had been impacted by George. I hate to tell you this, it was a three-hour service. And every single one of us that spoke had two minutes to speak. A group of us pastors who had been mentored and trained and raised up by him spoke each for about two minutes. That's a hard feat right there. And we don't represent all of the 50. We were just some of those that he had raised up into full-time ministry. And so think about the churches and the power of God's kingdom and the influence that George Anderson has had on now churches that will never know his name through the people that he raised up and mentored. Just like you and I have been touched by what the gospel has said to so many before us. You know, we do really stand on the shoulders of a cloud of great witnesses, and George is one of them. He multiplied himself in others so that the kingdom of God 
and Jesus could be multiplied. It was never about giving George credit. It was never about, in fact, George used to tell me over and over again, you'd be surprised at how much we can accomplish if we're not worried about who gets credit. And so the kingdom of God has multiplied so immensely through this man, George Anderson, who loved and cared for and, and just walked with people. You know, I think George let me see how to love people in Jesus' name. He, he showed me what it looked like to, to be frustrated. And George was not afraid of confrontation. Some of us remember, uh, and we, we often remind ourselves of a, of a story. We were, we were a group of pastors that he was, uh, young people. We weren't even in the ministry. We hadn't gone to seminary yet, but we were being trained by George. All of us had been had felt called to ministry and George was beginning to pour into us. We were young guys. We didn't know anything. We were just sitting around. I can remember this. There were about four or five of us sitting around George's uh, kitchen table. By the way, George always invited us into his home. He would cook for us. It was a blessing. Treated us like family. But we were sitting around these this group of young pastors and and we were talking about things. I don't remember what it was. And one of the guys was pouring out I guess something that he was really concerned about. And um, and we were not giving him the proper attention, I guess. We were all joking. It wasn't it wasn't making fun of him. We were just all having a, a lighthearted time. And the the uh, guy that was uh, speaking was frustrated and he was upset. And so at one point he got, and forgive my language, we were in the midst of this meeting, and he said basically. He just slammed the table and he said, you guys are pissing me off. And uh, all of us around that table immediately got quiet. And George looked over across the table at him and said this, well, you're pissing me off. Now about that time, the rest of us wanted to crawl under the table because we thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is going badly. And the young guy got mad and he got up and tried to leave the table. And George said, where are you leaving? Don't leave. And they began to talk and George walked with him to the door and said, look, we need to figure this out. I get it. You feel hurt. You weren't being listened to. But your brothers were having a good time and, and I, again, I don't remember all the details of this. It was probably 35 years ago, maybe more. But I found out something after that. After that confrontation, George went up to that guy and said, listen, I'm willing to meet with you to work through this. And unbeknownst to any of the rest of us, George began to meet with him one-on-one -on -one because he cared about what this guy was going through. And he was willing to confront him in love, but he was also willing to nurture him in love. He was also willing to mentor him in love. He wasn't just saying, hey, you should do this because I think he was like, how can I pour into you? Man, I saw so much. And I can tell you in the early years of my pastoral ministry, Michelle and I would ask ourselves the question over and over and over again. What would George and Carol do in this situation? Here's why we asked ourselves that question. Because George and Carol, for us, were tangible models of who God is, what Jesus thought, and how Jesus lived. 
that's what disciple-making is really all about. Living our lives in front of our families and our friends and our co-workers in such a way that they get a glimpse of Jesus. It's not a religious thing. It's a life-on-life thing. It's the kind of thing that, it's why Jesus was so attractive to the crowds. They saw life in him and they saw authentic, real heart and power and emotion and godliness. And they were like, this is what we've been longing for. That's what it means to make disciples. Let's, let's commit ourselves. And I'm more committed than ever in honor of my friend and my pastor and my spiritual dad and my mentor, George Anderson. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing all that I can to help other people have the experience of Jesus that I had through George Anderson. I now know how to walk with Jesus without George. I now have my own life with Jesus. But that was enabled because someone took the time to invite me, nurture me, love me, care for me and show me the way. Let's all commit to that. Let's all get on our knees today and ask God. Let's fully surrender our will to the care and control of God that he would own us and everything about us. Let's trust him in larger ways than we've ever trusted him before and take the adventure of life that he's inviting us into and watch how God will change the world even through ordinary people like us. Thank you so much for letting me honor my friend, George Anderson. I pray that in some way, just one small part of this has encouraged your heart today to be a a lover of Jesus and someone who makes disciples who make disciples. Thanks for being a part of Guerrilla Discipleship. God bless you, and I'll see you next week.